You're listening to the Bible teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And this is the word of the Lord. Okay, so there continues to be statistics that indicate the rise of the nuns among young people. Uh, Not N-U-N-S, that'd be cool. But um, N-O-N-E-S, essentially those young people who are a part of no religious affiliation. I read a statistic just recently that uh, estimated, really, that if this trend continues among young people, sort of moving away from religious affiliation, that 40 million young people raised in Christian homes will walk away from uh, the confessing Christian faith by 2050. So if this trend continues in our time, in our lifetime, 40 million young people raised in Christian homes will walk away from the Christian faith by 2050. That's an estimate if that trend continues. And so eyes are upon this thing. This isn't just a concern for the the Christian church. Sociologists are starting to pick up on like this is a moving trend and we, we need to figure this out. We need to see what's going on. And so Harvard Divinity School actually set out to understand this situation that seems to be pointing towards this move away from religious commitment among young people, this exodus, this mass exodus. And in many ways, the signs seem to be pointing towards this, that this next generation, that young people that are coming, into, coming of age are less religious, less committed, uh, commitment phobic, don't have roots and that sort of thing. The, the signs seem to be pointing towards that. But listen, they found something really interesting. As they started to dig into this this topic, as they saw this trend, this downward trend among young people in the faith, they also found this growing trend among young men and women who are actually looking for community right now. They're looking for commitment, that are even looking for a spiritual transcendent experience, but now are trying to find it outside of the church looking for these sort of experiences in in different venues, through different avenues other than the Christian church. One of the most common places that they found young people congregating and really migrating towards, listen, was the world of fitness. Places like CrossFit, spin and cycle classes, and yoga. And what they found was, was these young people are making significant sacrifices, financial sacrifices, time commitments. They're putting their bodies through rigorous exercises. They are submitting themselves to extreme accountability and submission to, to leadership structures and on and on and on. And so the question is, why? Listen to what one, one researcher wrote. He said this, the need for community was something that was so strong in our research 
People were longing for relationships that have meaning and experience of a belonging rather than just surface level relationships. In other words, what they found was that people came for the fitness, but they stayed because of the meaningful connections that they experienced there. They came to work out, but they were drawn in by relationships, a sense of belonging. And so I'm seeing these trends, I'm reading this article, and a couple things come to mind. The first is this, it's absolutely fascinating just how much to see and experience just how much the human soul aches to belong. The human soul just aches to belong. And here's the thing, it doesn't even require Christian faith to understand that as human beings, this is our shared experience. So we have this shared need to belong. Social psychologists describe that belonging is primal. Belonging is, a fu- is fundamental to our sense of happiness and well-being. They go on to say that belonging is a psychological lever that has broad consequences. Our interests, our motivations, our health, and our happiness are inextricably tied to feeling that we belong to a greater community. In other words, it's almost as if we were hardwired to be a part of something bigger than ourselves and to have meaningful connections in our life. Uh, there's a new Netflix series called Maniac. And uh, in, in this storyline, there are two, there, well, multiple test subjects that admit themselves to become these, essentially these human experiments uh, for this pharma company. And the, the characters are brought through these experiments uh, that cause them to go into this almost deep state of comatose. Uh, and then they have to revisit painful moments in their history. But because of this system error, which is too long to describe right now, these two test subjects, their, their dream worlds, their, their psyches, end up becoming overlapped. Two, two strangers that do not otherwise know each other end up winding up in each other's dreams, in their thoughts, in their memories, in their psyches. And so the scientists that are outside the experiment are like typing away at computers and moving joysticks and trying to separate them in this experiment. But as Dr. Azumi says, every time I try to separate them, they find their way back together. Every attempt to isolate and divide, they would find their way back. And this really illustrates for us that the human soul longs for connection. There's almost this gravitational pull that draws us back towards community. That no matter how isolating the world can be, it still pulls us back together. There's still this longing to be apart. No matter how lonely or isolating the world can be, there's this gravitational pull that keeps moving us and this longing to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. You see, the theological explanation for this is that we were created in the image of a personal and a relational God. A God who has existed eternally within the community of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In Genesis 1, it records for us that God said, let us make man in our own image. The creation of man, the design of men and women, our very being was designed by a God, one God in three persons that desired for us to reflect him. For us to reflect him not only in our being, but also within our community. And as we walk through the Genesis account, we see God creating these separate movements of creation. And as he creates these separate movements, he pauses and he makes declarations over his handiwork and he says, it is good. It is good. It is good. But then there's this moment in the creation account where it sort of just pauses and God looks at his own handiwork and says, it's not good. 
In fact, look with me in verse Genesis 2.18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man shall be alone. And so God's looking at his creation, declaring good, but then he sees Adam by himself. It's not sin, it's not evil, it's not discourse, it's not the serpent that he first looks at and says, this isn't good. It's man by himself. And so what does God do? He creates for him Eve. God creates community. By design, we ache to belong. As Archbishop Desmond Tutu put it, my humanity is caught up, is inextricably bound up in yours. We belong in a bundle of life. We belong in this bundle of life created in the image of a communal God, a personal God. So again, I'm reading these studies and I'm thinking, this is fascinating. The little wannabe sociologist in me is just like, it's just, just it's being expressed in these trends and statistics. But the second thing, a second thing happened. After the intrigue wore off, uh, I, I got a sense of urgency. As we look at the landscape of our culture, I believe never has it been more urgent for the Christian church to recapture a biblical vision of belonging. We live in an age of severe division. We live in an age of severe political division. This, this was highlighted for us this week. Our nation was completely divided over one seat. It wasn't just division between Republicans and Democrats. It was divisions between people, men and women, sexual assault victim, victims and non-sexual assault victims. Complete division over one political seat. On top of being politically divided, we are surrounded by a ton of shallow digital relationships where it's not uncommon to have hundreds, if not thousands of relationships digitally that if we were to be completely honest, do very little for our souls. We're also overstimulated. On a daily basis, we're being pulled in a million different directions where we try to be present in every single one of them and as a result, we are never really present with anyone. We're overstimulated, we're pulled in a million different directions, we're completely divided, relationally divided, divided in our soul. And then on top of this, there are entire generations that are now disillusioned by the church. Can we be honest for a second? Entire generations disillusioned by the church because of abuses, because of manipulation, because of scandals, because of strange political alliances. And now as a result, there are masses of people that are uprooting themselves from the lineage of the Christian faith and now roaming the culture to try to find a place to put roots down. As a result, CrossFit, the CrossFit gym feels more soul restoring and relationally satisfying than the one place that ought to be the most loyal, loving, life-giving place, uh, place on the face of the earth. Those, those longings are being satisfied outside of the church, or at least people believe they're being satisfied there. This is our moment in history that we live within. You realize that? We don't get a different generation. God restores and redeems, but we don't get to start over. We don't get to transfer ourselves to a better day or a brighter future. This is our moment. This is our little blip on the radar of human history. And we cannot undo the sins of the past. We cannot undo those trends. But we can do something about it now by the grace and power of God. This, this is our moment. And this moment brings with it a sense 
of urgency. And so with that sense of urgency and that sort of urgency, we began this fall series titled Belong. In an age of isolation, in an age of division and cultural uprootedness, the big question that people are asking is how do we experience belonging? How do we belong? And to answer that question, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be turning to the ancient scriptures, God's holy word. And here in Acts chapter 2, we see a really clear illustration of belonging within the Christian community. In fact, one commentator called this portion of Acts the ideal picture of the new community. Within this portion of Acts 2, we see the benefits of belonging. We see the responsibilities of being a part of the church. We see the motivation for joining the church. And so in the remainder of our time this morning, what I want to do is I want to briefly lay out our vision for belonging, the biblical vision of belonging in a way that's going to serve as an introduction to uh, a series that's going to span across October and November. Also, what this is going to do is going to, it's going to uh, serve as a membership prototype. Uh, it would be impossible to try to get all these people into a, a membership class. And so what we're going to do is we're going to bring the membership class to our Sunday mornings and give opportunities for those who call this church their home to say, this is my home. I belong here. This, this is where I'm putting down roots. And so it will be vital for you to uh, participate and attend all of these different services. But here's what I want to do in the remainder of our service. You guys still with me? That was the introduction to the introduction. You're welcome. Here's the remainder of our time. What I want to do is I want to lay out our vision for belonging. Biblical vision for belonging. Following the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Jesus gathered his disciples and he made a promise to his disciples. And he said this, he said, I'm going to send you my Holy Spirit. And when you receive my Holy Spirit, uh, I will be with you because he will be with you. And when you receive the Holy Spirit, you will receive power to be my faithful witnesses here in Jerusalem and beyond. And so we read in Acts chapter 2 as the early disciples gathered in the upper room, praying and beseeching the Lord in the presence of God, we hear that the Holy Spirit came upon the church just as Jesus had promised. And as a result of this day of Pentecost, as the Holy Spirit, the, the whole church is baptized in the Holy Spirit, the good news of Jesus is death and resurrection and his kingdom begins to be proclaimed in many foreign languages. Not just one specific language, but many foreign languages. And we read of, uh, in Acts 2 that men and women are repenting and believing and they're receiving forgiveness for their sins and they're, and they're being baptized just as Jesus had uh, told them. And, and it tells us in verse 41 that 3,000 people are saved. We see this extraordinary move of God on the day of Pentecost. But it's interesting because Pentecost is this, this extraordinary event where the Holy Spirit falls. There's a, a lot of motion, a lot of commotion. It's not chaos in the sense that there's disorder, but there's a lot of things occurring. 3,000 people get saved. The dust is in the air, and yet when the dust settles, what do we see? When the dust of Pentecost settles, what we see is a church. In fact, we see the church that we read of this morning. And more specifically, what we see is a fellowship. In fact, Dr. Luke, the writer of Acts, he uses this Greek word here, koinonia, for the word fellowship. It's the idea is that of a participating group that is joined together in partnership. This, what we're reading of this morning is not loose association. These are people that are bound together by something greater than themselves. Bound together by something more profound and powerful than their own ability to commit. 
bound together by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the question is, what's the result of the most powerful, at least one of the most powerful moves of God in saving history, in redemptive history? Well, the result is a stubbornly, a group of stubbornly devoted believers. That's what we see. A group of men and women who are committing their entire existence to God and one another. How do you know that you've met the Holy Spirit? Because he moves you towards community. He moves you towards belonging. He moves you towards commitment. At the beginning of our year, we laid out a vision, uh, areas of transformation that we would be seeking throughout the year 2018, a move away from relevance towards rootedness, not just being inward focused, but outward focused. But if you remember, there was another uh, transition, a movement that we wanted to seek by God's grace, and it was going from being present to a sense of belonging. And so this fall, we are actually implementing that vision. We're, we're, we're holding up our end of the bargain and implementing that vision of moving away from loose association where people come and go with really no sense of connection. Again, can we be honest for a second? It's not, oh wait, can we be honest for a second? Okay, you guys need to talk back in here a little bit. I know you guys like still looking at the building and the speakers and the light. Um, it's not uncommon for people to come and then just disappear for weeks on end, or maybe even months on end. And the question is like, where'd so-and-so go? I don't know. Like, did they go? Did they move? Did they go to different, like, where are they? I don't know. Is this even their church? I don't know. It's, this is not uncommon in, in, in the American church. And if I could be honest, it's not uncommon here in reality. So what we want to do is we want to implement this vision of moving away from loose association to one of devotion. Why? Because we are convinced that this is what we were both created for and redeemed through Jesus Christ for. We believe that this is God's vision for your life as a believer and for the life of this community, for the life of Reality Church Stockton. Look with me, uh, it should be projected, Romans chapter 12. The Apostle Paul tells us this, for just as each of us has one body with many members, so he's talking about our body, we have all these limbs and different parts, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we, though many, look around for a second. All right, look around for a second, okay. Though many form one body. Though we are many, though we are individuals, though we've got our own lives, our own story, our own gift sets, our own personalities, our own quirks, make one body. And each member belongs to all the others. Now, pause, you thought it was going to say, and each member belongs to Christ. Because that seems to be the natural progression of this passage, that we are in Christ and we belong to Christ. That is absolutely true, but that's not what the Apostle Paul says. He says, we belong to one another. Uh, 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 is it Lumineers? I belong to you, you belong to me, sweet son. Okay, two of you. <laughs> yeah, we're going to put that, we're going to like bury that in 2013 or wherever that was from. Uh, but he says, members, we belong to all the others. There's this truth that runs throughout the New Testament that when we are united with Christ in salvation, we are united with one another in fellowship. Sin and evil brought isolation into this world. Sin brought loneliness. Sin brought relational strife and division and that sense of aloneness that sits deep in our soul. That is a result of the brokenness of humanity, the fall of humanity. That is the, that is the result of evil in this world. 
and we see it in the world, and we see it in our, our experience, but the work of Jesus Christ is actually at work in our lives and in our community and in our world to reverse this destructive trend. The work of Jesus Christ brings reconciliation between us and God. There was brokenness between us and God because of sin, but the work of Jesus Christ reconciles us to the Father, amen? But as we're reconciled to the Father, something simultaneously happens. We are reconciled to one another. The work of Jesus Christ brings us back to God and brings us back together. And we see this illustrated in this passage here in Acts chapter 2. Look at me in verse 47. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So we see this motion occurring, this sort of simultaneous reality here. No pun intended. Uh, we see God at work rescuing men and women. I'm in a weird mood today, guys. <laughs> Just bear with me. Uh, we see God at work rescuing men and women. He's saving. But where does he immediately place them? In the church. Okay, good. Well, we're going to get this by the end, I promise. Uh, when God brings us home, he brings us into the church. That's the point. Covenant with Christ places us within covenant community. And so in this sense, uh, we don't choose to join the church. Joining the church really isn't a, a choice after we are saved. When we belong to Jesus, we belong to his church. It's the result of God's doing. It's the result of God's grace at work in our lives. But the decision that we have is this. Will we respond or will we resist? Here's the reality. We have two options, two responses to this reality for the believer. We are moving one of two ways at every given moment of our life. We are either responding and moving towards community or resisting and moving away. You are just not sitting idly and neutral. This moment, our lives, this week, this upcoming week, this year, the remainder of our year, we are either going to be moving towards responding to the grace of Jesus Christ that reconciles us to one another, or we are going to resist the work of God in our lives. The option that we have is how we respond. It was this vision that inspired men and women to intentionally respond. In fact, I love this. If we look at, look at one of the first descriptions that we have of the early church, verse 42, and they devoted themselves. The dust of Pentecost settles, and the church emerges. And how does Acts describe this first early spirit-filled church? They devoted themselves. They were devoted people. They made the decision to follow Jesus Christ. They made the decision to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then be added to the church. And they devoted themselves to this new community of believers through some specific ways that we see here. If we can have these, these things projected. The first is this. They were believing together. They devoted themselves, verse 42, to the apostles' teaching. Going on in verse 44, and all who believed were what? Together. Secondly, they were worshiping together. It tells us in verse 43, awe came upon every soul. So it wasn't just the charismatic people or the emotionally in tune, but every soul. And as a result, they were praising God. Thirdly, they're gathering together. Verse 46, and day by day, attending the temple or the large gathering together and then breaking bread in their homes as they scatter. Number four, praying together and the prayers. 
Five, they were giving together. All right, this is where you get a little bit tense and tight. It's the Bible. Look at me in verses 45 and 46. And they were selling their possessions. Now trip out on this. They were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need with glad and generous hearts. Six, they were serving together. All who believed were together and had all things in common. Their lives were being shared. And then lastly, they're reaching together. It says that they were having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the number day by day those who were being saved. And so we see this, this pattern in Acts 2. It's actually going to serve for a template and a, sort of a, a, a direction for the remaining seven weeks in this series. But this really gives us timeless clarity about what belonging to the church ought to look like in our day in our time, in our moment of urgency. And as we look at this passage, what is evident is that there wasn't a sense of resentment and reluctance. Do you get the sense that as they're doing these things that they're reluctant in these behaviors and these practices? Do you get the sense that it's begrudging for them to sell all their belongings? No, it's with glad and generous hearts. They're enthusiastic. They're overcome with joy to commit themselves to the work of the local church. For them, they saw devotion of time and energy and even, God forbid, their resources, not as a loss, not as a liability, but as a gain. These were practices that were not life-draining for like some of us. These were practices that were life-giving. This was fueling the fire of their souls. This was growing them in their enthusiasm, not draining them of their joy. And so they devoted themselves. And they ordered their entire lives around this commitment. It, 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 to them, it was a matter of allegiance to both Christ and his bride. It wasn't about fitting church into their busy schedules. It's what they set right at the middle of their lives and said, everything comes around this. Everything comes into place around this commitment. But here's something to consider. You realize how wildly unsuccessful this would have been if the apostles forced them into this place. You realize what we read of in the book of Acts wouldn't have happened if the apostles tried to force them into this sort of devotion and commitment. This sort of devotion to, to belong to the church, the kind that we read about, uh, about in Acts, the kind that we pray for, for reality Stockton, this is not the result of guilt. This sort of devotion is not the result of coercion or manipulation. They were compelled by something deeper than being told what they need to do. So what was it? What compelled them to live in the sort of way that we read of here this morning in Acts chapter 2? And I believe it hinges on the events that led up to it. Hinges on the events of Pentecost where the, the spirit had fallen on the church. The gospel's preached in many languages and God forms this new spirit-filled community. A very different, new community. The people in Jerusalem at this time, on the day of Pentecost and leading up to the description of this early church, were in Jerusalem specifically to celebrate Pentecost. For us, Pentecost uh, seems like it's a Christian uh, tradition. We find it on the Protestant calendar and the, and the liturgy of the church. But before it was a Christian holiday, it was actually a Jewish holiday. And so Pentecost was the time of year. It was also known as uh, the Feast of Weeks, where people would come from all over, hence different languages. They would come to Jerusalem, and they would come to bring the first fruits of the harvest to God. These men and women gathered in Jerusalem were there to offer gifts 
to God. And generally, these festivities would center around the temple. But here's the thing about the first century temple. The, the first century temple mound uh, was, the, was based on this really this series of divisions and gated walls. These sort of concentric circles that held specific people out. And so there was the first gate, which was the gate of the Gentiles. Where if you were a Gentile, which means you were not a Jew, you could gather in this sort of outer portion of the court. And you could walk around this area, but you could not come further in. Then secondly, there was the, uh, for, for Jewish women who were ceremonially, ceremonially clean according to the Jewish law, so you weren't on your period or something like that, could move into the second portion of the temple for Jewish women. And then third, there was the gate of the innermost court where Jewish men could be present. So if you were a Jewish man who was ceremonially clean, you could be in that portion. And then within that was the innermost, the Holy of Holies, where God dwelled, where only one person could go, where the high priest could be present. Only one had access to the, to the presence of God. And so you step back and you look at this religious structure and to, to many, the masses, this community was marked by exclusion and division. Let me pause real quick. Maybe this has been your experience of religion up to this point as well. To the masses, to those who don't fit the bill, this religious endeavor has been marked by exclusion and division of having to overcome barriers to be a part. In fact, listen, uh, several years ago, archaeologists actually found an inscription on one of these walls found at the Temple Mound, and it said this, whoever is captured past this point will have himself to blame for his subsequent death. In other words, cross this line, I dare you. Th this, was, this was projected so that people knew you are not allowed beyond this point. You stay out here. You don't belong. You are held out. You are held at an arm's length. Religion up to this point was very isolating. It was a very segregating experience. Much of the, of the believing community felt off limits to those who just didn't fit in, who didn't fit the bill. This is the backdrop of Pentecost. And yet here on the day of Pentecost, they experienced something entirely different, entirely new. They came to discover that the kingdom of God is not founded on what we bring, humanity brings to God, but what God brings to humanity. Amen. Remember, they were there to offer their gifts to God. And what does God do? He shocks them. He gives them the gift of his Holy Spirit. They thought they were there to offer God their religious duties. And God says, I'm going to give you my presence in the Holy Spirit. They came to discover that because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, now reconciliation with God was available, listen, to all people groups. To all people groups. To men and women from every tribe and tongue and nation. That the presence of God was no longer reserved for one. The communion, a sense of belonging was not for the elite. That belonging wasn't just for the select few or for the ones that have their lives together or, or know the motions well and fit the bill and are good for the brand. But belonging was made available to all who believe. In fact, listen to the words of, of the Apostle Peter as he's preaching this Pentecost sermon. He says, for the promise is for you. Can you please hear that? Transcending time and space coming right to you. 
The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Everyone that, the, that God draws near to himself by his grace. And they're like, I'm in. I'm in. Up until this point, I haven't even been able to be in, even if I wanted to. I'm in. Sign me up. I'm getting baptized. Number me among the 3,000. This is amazing. See, they, they caught this vision of the walls of division being torn down in front of their eyes. The divides just coming crumbling down because of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. They heard the gospel in their own language. God was meeting them where they were. And God meets you where you are as well. For them, it was no longer about climbing walls and overcoming hurdles and risking their lives to get to God and be a part of the community. It was about Jesus Christ giving his life to bring the kingdom to us and inviting us to be a part of it. We can clap for Jesus Christ, right? Thank you. One clap minimum every service. Just, just put that out here. In a deeply divided world of the first century, the gospel was music to their ears. And it was calling them to, into this gracious gift of belonging that now didn't depend on them, and it didn't depend on what they do for God, but depended on what God does for us. And listen, that, that same news meets us today in the 21st century. That same powerful message comes to us with just as much vigor and power. Listen to the words of J.B. Phillips. He said this, These early Christians were on fire with the conviction that they had become, through Christ, literally sons of God. They were pioneers of a new humanity, founders of a new kingdom, and they still speak to us across the centuries. Perhaps if we believed what they believed, we might achieve what they achieved. Perhaps if we believed what they believed, our young people would come home. Perhaps if we believed what they believed, men and women would be compelled to give their lives to Jesus Christ. Perhaps if we believed what they believed, the church would, would once again be known for being a place of loyalty and love and life-giving. What if we believed what they believed? They still speak to us today. So what does this mean for us? How do we respond? Again, this is our moment of urgency. We don't get today back. We don't get this year back. We don't get this generation back. We don't get this life back. It is now. How are we going to respond? First, we need to cultivate a heart conviction about what the church is. We need a deep conviction in our soul. I wonder how many of us, if we were put on the spot, could answer the question, why does the church matter today? I get the, ch the church served some purpose and was a sort of a step in the social evolution of humanity, but why does it matter today? Why does it matter in the 21st century? I wonder how many of us could actually give a significant, substantial answer to that question that goes beyond a hyper-individualized answer like, it's where I get my spiritual fill-up throughout the week. What, how many of us could actually give a potent, biblical answer? Why does the church matter? Why does the church matter today? 
Listen to the words of John Stott. He said this, the church lies at the very center of the eternal purposes of God. It's not a divine afterthought. It's not an accident of history. On the contrary, the church is God's new humanity for his purpose conceived in a past eternity, being worked out in history and being perfected in a future eternity. For his purpose is not just to save isolated individuals and so perpetuate our loneliness. That is not God's plan. But rather to build his church, that is to call out of the world a people for his own glory. A set-apart people. A holy people. A people that through our lives and through our proclamation makes evident to the world the excellencies of our God who has called us out of darkness and placed us in the kingdom of his beloved son. A kingdom of light, a kingdom of joy, a kingdom of belonging. Secondly, we need to up our commitment to the church. I couldn't say it any more simple. We, the believer, we need to up our commitment to the covenant community of Jesus Christ. In C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters, it's, it's an odd premise, but bear with me for a second. So the book is eavesdropping on letters between demons, okay? And what Screwtape is, Screwtape Letters is about this fictional story of the uncle lead demon writing to his now apprentice nephew demon about strategies to work against you and me, to work against the believer. And in one of these series of letters, uh, he tells his nephew, this apprentice, of one of the strategies against Christians, against our soul, against your soul. You have an enemy. And one of the strategies is to rid you, to rid us of our commitment to the local church. And it's, it's interesting what, what he goes on to say in this letter. He says, surely you know that if a man or a woman can't be cured of church going, the next best thing is to send him all over the neighborhood looking for the church that suits him until he becomes a taster or a connoisseur of churches. Let's just set that, let that one set in for a second. We have a lot of uh, hopes and prayers for what God is going to do in this building and through this church. But enabling us to become church connoisseurs is not one of them. I refuse to entertain. And I refuse to tell you what you want to hear to get you to come and be a part. <laughs> filter, <laughs> filter. Holy Spirit, self-control. Believers need to take serious their call to commit themselves and their families to the local church for, for three reasons, I believe. For the sake of their own soul. For the sake of the next generation. For the sake of those kids. And for the sake of the onlooking world who in some way is going to get a representation of God's commitment through our commitment. They're going to get a window into eternity through our devotion. God help us. God help us. So there, there is a lot at stake. And the third thing is this. We need to emerge with a compelling vision. And we need to once again, like every generation that has come before us, tell the ancient and timeless vision of belonging. 
What we're going to be doing is we're going to be doing that over the course of these next seven weeks in a world aching for a place to call home. And maybe you are here in that place today. You are aching in your soul for a place to belong, a place to call home, a place to be accountable to and to care for you. We need to tell the story of the kingdom of God and his invitation to be a part in a clear and compelling way, as clearly as we can. And so we're going to be telling that story and we're gonna be telling that story to anyone who's gonna hear it. If you're wondering, is this a series for me? Yes. Wherever you are, if, for those who are exploring the Christian faith and you wanna know more about Christianity, this is an invitation to belong. This is an invitation to hear God drawing you into community. Uh, if perhaps you were raised in the church and for whatever reason, you've spent years or months or decades away from the church, and yet you feel that void in your soul because of the lack of Christian, Christian community. This is for you to come and to belong. And lastly, for those who call this their church home, who say, oh, I've already heard this stuff. I'm already committed. This is an opportunity for you to define the relationship. To say, I'm in to stop dating the church. Put a ring on it. Okay? And uh, so the call to belong comes to you. Wherever you are, how will you respond? How will you respond? Let's pray.